official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Continuing our series this morning, Journey Wisdom for the Way. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth, which David mentioned, uh, to talk about an inevitable part of our journey as humans, which is suffering. Yeah, everyone is like, yes, if I wasn't awake before, now I'm definitely awake. I'm listening, I'm tuned in, I'm dialed, because we're going to be talking about suffering. No, 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 no. I just had to get in the suffering sermon before summertime, right? Before it's officially summertime. So just kind of getting ready, ramping up. Um, Just a a little note, we're not going to be addressing the why of suffering this morning. There's a lot of really great kind of philosophical, theological books if you want to dig a little bit deeper and get into the why. But we're going to be using the book of Ruth to talk about the what now of suffering. And this is something that I've been processing a lot uh, recently, due to some recent unexpected suffering in my life, which I'll dive into a little bit uh, this morning. Sometimes life comes at you in unexpected ways. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes life comes at you in unexpected ways. And so I'm going to share a little bit about some of those unexpected ways in my own life. But first, I, I, I wanted to share a story uh, that's a little bit trivial. It's a little bit silly of just like a trivial form of suffering in my life that actually just highlights the unexpected nature of suffering that we expect. The, the, I, I didn't see that comingness element of suffering right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Who here in this room has been on a cross-country road trip? Cross-country. Quite a few. I know a few of you have even biked across the country. I have not biked across the country. But uh, if you have traveled across the country on a road trip, you'll know a couple things. One, you'll know uh, you get to experience a lot of beauty, right? And so you experience a lot of beauty, but there's also something else that you experience. You experience all sorts of things that you don't expect, that you didn't plan for along the way. And there's usually some amount of frustration that comes along with that, right? Am I right? Maybe you don't have to go across country. Maybe it's just down to New York City to be able to understand this. The 7-Eleven you're going to stop at to get a Slurpee, it's closed, and man, your life's ruined. But when I was on... I'm a big fan of 7-Eleven here. Uh, When I was on this road trip, we got to see all sorts of beautiful stuff. We got to see Old Faithful in Yellowstone Park, and we got to see Niagara Falls. And one thing that I was probably too excited for, more excited than I should have been was a stop at the Mall of America. I was just, I was 20, but I was like very excited to go to the Mall of America. I know malls aren't so much a thing anymore, but this was like the biggest mall in the world, or at least close. There's an amusement park in there, and, and I was traveling with two of my friends to the East Coast. One of them was moving, and all of our cell phones were dead. They weren't smartphones, by the way. They were dumb phones. And 
I volunteered to sit in the Starbucks while our phones charged. And so they got a little bit of a head start into the mall. It's like, okay, just like come back in 30 minutes to get me. So I'm not like stuck here. I couldn't, I didn't want to leave because I didn't know where they were. I had their phones and we're on a deadline and a few hours went by and my friends never came back. And then when they finally came back, our time was done. Y'all know when you're on a road trip, you have a schedule. We were probably already behind schedule. So we had to hop in the car and get going. And so my opportunity to ride the indoor roller coaster uh, was smashed to pieces. My expectation for how that was going to go uh, was blown to pieces, right? Destroyed. All of my boxes of expectation were smashed to pieces. Trivial form of suffering, right? I didn't get to ride the roller coaster in the Mall of America. But I tell this story because I feel like in some level, whether it's trivial or not, we all know what it's like to expect and envision what our lives are going to be like, what our journey is going to be like. And sometimes we have trivial interruptions that disrupt our expectations. 7-Eleven's closed. Don't get to ride the roller coaster, Mall of America. Uh, but we all inevitably experience another type of suffering as well. And this is the type of suffering that smashes all of our previous boxes of expectation, how we thought things were going to go, our vision for how our journey was going to be. And so this morning, I just want to share some things that I'm learning in that space. Emphasis on learning, things I'm learning in that space. These are lessons I'm learning in the present moment in my own journey. And I actually think that these lessons are beautifully illustrated in the book of Ruth, which is why we're going to be turning there this morning. And so we're going to be using the book of Ruth to talk about um, the opportunity, you might say, uh, to talk about the what now of suffering, because it is inevitable to part of our journey as humans. So I want to narrow in on a couple things specifically, um, and these are also my prayers for the sermon this morning. When we suffer, we're provided with an opportunity to examine and create. When we suffer, not, not the why, but when we suffer, we're provided with an opportunity to examine and create. Because I know this, suffering will shape us. Suffering will form us. The question then becomes, how? How will it shape us? How will it form us? And so we're provided an opportunity to examine our lives. But as we examine, we're also provided with an opportunity to create. Sometimes not because we want to create, but because we're forced to imagine a new future. Because all of our previous expectations have been smashed to pieces. Second thing I want to narrow in on this morning so the first is when we suffer, we're provided with an opportunity to examine and create. We'll jump into that a little bit more in just a moment. The second thing is that God is with us in our suffering. God's with us in our suffering. 
we're often tempted to think that we are alone in our suffering, that God is distant. So, so we do this with God. We also do this with human community as well, right? We tend to isolate ourselves when we experience suffering, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that we are alone in that. I think there is the presence of God with us in the midst of that suffering, and so we'll be talking about those two elements this morning. And so, let's jump into the Book of Ruth. Y'all with me? Okay. We're missing our vibrant college community, I believe, due to graduation weekend. So we're praying for them and celebrating them. So let's jump into the book of Ruth as we begin our, our, our conversation. Chapter one of Ruth, by the way, it's a really short book. If you haven't read it, take some time this week, spend 10 to 15 minutes, read through the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. It's somewhere in the middle of the first half of the book. Just look for it. Chapter one of Ruth begins by introducing us to an Israelite family, Naomi, her husband, and her two sons. And there's a famine in Israel, and so they set off on a journey in search of food because of this famine. And they settle on a land called Moab, and it's on this journey that Naomi's husband dies. She experiences a disruption a shattering of expectations as they settle in Moab. And her two sons marry women from Moab, Moabite women, and their names are Orpah and the protagonist of the book, Ruth. So it's Orpah, not Oprah. I, I read it Oprah every time for some reason. So little uh, Oprah fact for everyone. So it is Orpah, not, o- not Oprah, and Ruth. So they marry Moabite women, but then there is a second unexpected tragedy. Both of Naomi's sons die as well. And so there's all sorts of unexpected tragedy happening in this situation, and Naomi, it's this second tragedy that for Naomi becomes a catalyst for her to move back to Israel. So she's lost essentially everything and everyone, and this becomes a catalyst for her to move back to her homeland, her home country, Israel. And it's in this process that she says to Orpah and Ruth, Because she recognizes that they're still young, there's still hope for them, a certain level of hope for them in their home country. And so she encourages them. She says, stay here. I'm going to go back. Don't come with me. Here you might still be able to have a beautiful future, even though it's not the future you were expecting. Um, There is still hope for me, but me, Naomi, there is no hope for me. I'm going to go back to Israel, and in summary, Orpah agrees, but Ruth makes a different decision. This is where Ruth, I believe, first experiences an opportunity to be a part of the shaping of her life in the midst of her suffering, because Ruth was suffering as well. She was a recent widow. Remember, we will all be shaped. The question is how. 
And so Orpah agrees to remain in Moab while Naomi returns home. And Naomi says to Ruth, and this is in chapter 1, verse 15, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And so Ruth is presented with an opportunity to examine her life and her options. And so Ruth is not only examining where she's going to live, by the way, it's not like she's deciding between like a job offer, like Orlando or Omaha. I don't know what she would choose in that scenario. Probably not Nebraska. Um, sorry, Nebraska. Ruth, Ruth, what she has the opportunity to do here is she's examining who she wants to become. Ruth is presented with an opportunity to examine her life. What kind of world does she want to give her life to? And so this great disruption of suffering forces Ruth to examine her life because nothing's as she expected. She's faced with broken pieces, broken hopes, dreams, expectations, and she's going to be shaped by them. But the question is whether or not that suffering will define who she is, what she does, or if there's something else, if there's something else. And so she's forced to imagine a future she never expected. It's a brutal tragedy, but there's also this opportunity to begin the process of examination, of examination. I wonder if anyone is here in that place this morning. It's amazing. It's amazing, I think, how suffering has this amazing ability, capacity within it to open up our hearts to the process of examination. I actually think this is something we should do far more often in suffering or not in suffering, whether or not we're in a a season where we're being impacted by this or not, to ask how are we being shaped and formed? Because we are, we are. Um, And suffering will shape and form us, but how? Because I I think this, that like in that moment that Ruth was actually kind of on the precipice of, in that examination process, of becoming bitter or becoming better. Becoming bitter or becoming better. How is this going to shape me? And I actually think in some way, as we encounter moments of suffering in our own lives, small and large, that we're faced with the same question, how will this shape us. Um, one of my Bible college professors, he gave this beautiful picture. I, I, I feel like when tragedy or suffering or some sort of pressure came into our lives, he gave us an, an image that has just kind of stuck with me for the past 15 years. And he spoke of pressure or suffering or the unexpected in our lives with an image of kind of like bearing down on us from above And we have a decision to make in our examination of who we are becoming, how we are going to let this shape us, in which direction we are leaning. And so it just takes a little bit of a lean in one direction or the other to move us towards a different direction on our journey. And so the suffering that Ruth encountered in this precipice moment, becoming bitter or becoming better. Um, She had an opportunity to lean towards God 
and the future that God had for her, she had an opportunity to lean away from him. And so that's what I mean when examine. When we examine our own lives, it could be a simple question of just asking, which way are we leaning? Uh, about a month and a half ago, I was in Honduras for work. I was buying coffee. I work in coffee as well as the church. And uh, a week before that, um, my wife and I had got some bad news. We got some good news, and then we got some bad news. My wife was, I also have Luann's permission to share this story because it's not completely my story to tell, um, but we got some good news that we were expecting. And then we got some bad news that she was likely having a miscarriage. And um, I, I knew from uh, many stories of very close friends of mine who have gone through similar experiences, that this is actually a lot more common than you maybe thought or expected, that more people's lives are marked by a situation like that than you would have thought. Um, and so we got kind of the bad news that this was likely happening, but we weren't quite sure, and there was an ultrasound scheduled a couple weeks later just to kind of confirm the bad news, um, but we're still remaining hopeful, prayerful, and while I was in Honduras, my last day there, I got a, a call. I can't remember if it was a call or a text message, actually, that she, she was having, in fact, a miscarriage. And she had lost a significant amount of blood and had to be admitted to the hospital. And she was in Messina, New York uh, at the time. And so it was a very tr traumatic experience of suffering for her. Um, and I experienced a lesser degree of suffering myself, knowing that I couldn't be there for her. Thankfully, she was visiting family in Messina, New York. And it was an unexpected moment of suffering in our lives. And I bring up that story because it has provided us an opportunity to examine. Examine our hearts where are we leaning? Are we going to lean closer to God? Are we going to lean away from God? And uh, also examine uh, like our commitment to each other. Examine our commitment to the type of parents we want to be to our seven-year-old and our one-year-old, right? And um, certainly unexpected, but I think it illustrates something that we're familiar with, whether or not that's a gravity of suffering we can personally relate to or not. It's the unexpectedness of it and the opportunity to examine that I wanted to bring up to illustrate. And uh, it's provided us with that opportunity. So I want to look at... Um, Ruth's conclusion in her examination and, and her response in her examination, because I actually think she provides a beautiful example to us. Hey, crew, how's it going? Good. Y'all just missed a really heavy story, so you're good. We're just going to jump right back in. Uh, Naomi says to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has come back, gone back to her people and her gods, Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi encourages Ruth again. And I want to, I uh, actually I'll project it for all of us. Uh, show Ruth's response 
to Naomi because I think it's a beautiful example to us. This is Ruth's reply to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Absolutely incredible. Don't want to skip past this. Ruth, in her examination of who she is, who she's going to be, and what she's going to give herself to, decides that she's going to commit herself to selfless loyalty and friendship. What else? She's committing herself to a new future, a new community, and a new faith. Ruth is showing tremendous bravery in her suffering while examining, while examining to give of herself selflessly, to imagine a new future, new community. And this is what I mean by suffering leading us to an opportunity to examination and then also to uh, an opportunity to create. Because Ruth gives her life to a beautiful vision of what her life could be and a beautiful vision of selflessly caring for others right in the middle of her suffering. Right in the middle of her suffering. Uh, Another story for you. Uh, Many of you know and love our seven-year-old daughter, Anaya. I haven't shared this story in a few years, so I feel like it's okay to share again how uh, we, that journey, where that journey has been for us. Um, what that journey has been for my wife and I in becoming her parents, because Anaya is not our biological daughter. Um, several years ago, this is about five years ago, um, Luann and I got a call, and her mother had died. Her mother lived in Florida, and so we had to drive down to Florida and put on a funeral and spend some time taking care of some details. And in that process, we actually found that my wife's mother had actually been Anaya's primary caretaker. Anaya had just turned two at the time. And so Anaya had uh, essentially no one to take care of her. Now, that became an opportunity for us to become the primary takers of Anaya. Um, and it was a tragic situation for everyone involved, for Anaya, for Luann's mother, for the family. Um, But it provided us with this opportunity to create and create a, a new future, not only for us, but for Anaya as well. And out of that situation has just come this, uh, one of the greatest gifts of my life, which is being able to be a parent to Anaya. And it's in Ruth's commitment to selflessly caring for Naomi, creatively giving her life to a future that wasn't a part of the plan, by the way, that she eventually experiences redemption, restoration, renewal, and those around her do as well, including Naomi. A side note about Naomi, 
because I believe that God might have a word for some of us in this room uh, concerning Naomi as well. Naomi, while on a similar journey of suffering to Ruth, isn't experiencing things on her, in her journey at the same pace or way as Ruth. When, when Naomi returns, if you read it actually the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, when Naomi returns to Israel, she asks for her name to be changed. Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant. She asks for her name to be changed to Mara, which means bitter. And I bring this up for a few reasons. The first is to say there's no right response to suffering. There's no right response to suffering. However we respond in suffering and grief, 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 this is my encouragement to you. It should simply be honest and authentic. Be honest and authentic. That means if you feel hopeless, frustrated, mad at God, it's good and healthy to feel that and articulate it. Say it. Name it. Call it what it is. The second is this. There's no right pace to process suffering. So we'll see that Naomi actually experiences some joy again at some later point in the story, but she's not ready to pursue a new future or even to give herself to it in the way, same way that Ruth is. That's okay too. You have permission to, pro- to go through that process. There's no right pace to the feelings, emotions, process of suffering. Last thing I want to side note about Naomi is this. While Naomi asks for her name to be changed from Mara to Bitter, no one in the book is ever recorded referring to her as Mara. And I find that fascinating because the author continues to call her Naomi, the narrator, and none of her friends or relatives refer to her as Mara. To me, this is a reminder, and I might be reading into the text a little bit. Don't take this as like a hermeneutical truth. I'm just going to be honest about that. But this is the, the importance to me, this highlights the importance of a redemptive community to highlight the heart of God to us in the midst of our suffering. Because Naomi wants to let the worst moment of her life define who she is, but she's in a community that refuses to let her do that. And to me, that is absolutely beautiful, captivating. They, the community, are the hope that she can still be a recipient of God's goodness, and grace. They are there to imagine a new future for her when she can't do it herself. Man, I want to be a part of a church community like that, right? How beautiful is that? I know I've seen that in our midst here at Church at the Well, but maybe this is going to be a reminder to us that we can be ambassadors of God's hope to each other when even when there are those of us who are inevitably processing suffering. And we're just not ready to imagine that new future yet. That's okay. That's okay. I don't have time to summarize the rest of the narrative, but the book only takes about 15 minutes to read, so just go read it. Um, But chapter 2 and 3, we're introduced to a character named Boaz, and Boaz signals a turn in the book for Ruth and Naomi. And in the last chapter, Boaz marries Ruth. And there's actually a reversal of the tragedies described in chapter one 
uh, Ruth is remarried and she eventually has a son. And this son is said to have even brought joy to Naomi. By the way, this son is the great-grandfather of King David, which is a whole nother sermon. Who, so Ruth is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. So it, it's also amazing to me if you look at the tremendous suffering present in the lives of those in the genealogy of Jesus. I think it's something that says to us, hey, journey, wisdom for the way, it's a part of the story. It's a part of all of our story. Um, and so, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. She eventually has a son. And this son is said to have brought joy even to Naomi. Even to Naomi. And so, because we didn't read the whole narrative together, you're going to have to trust me on this. You can fact check me on this, but you're going to have to trust me on this for this next point. The point of the story is not when you're following God, things will always work out in the end. It's not the point of the narrative. The point is this. And this is our last point. God is with you in all of it, even in your suffering. God is with you in your suffering. In fact, there's this peculiar thing about the book of Ruth. God's barely mentioned in the book, which I find a bit strange for a book in the Bible. God's mentioned by the characters a few times, but isn't mentioned once by the narrator. How strange. How strange. I, I actually think it points to the beauty of the story and how it's kind of laid out. And so you're going to have to trust me a little bit on this. The beauty, the beauty of God's work within it. The book of Ruth paints this beautiful picture of not only how we can experience God weave redemption out of our suffering, but it depicts how we experience life and moments really well, I think. Seldom do we see, at least in my own life, this is my own experience, uh, God working in the everyday moments of our lives. But if you've been following Jesus, I think for any extended period of time, you begin to get like a bird's eye view of God's work in your life when you start to look at the whole story. Anyone here know what I'm talking about? You begin to see how God was moving and working in the seemingly mundane and ordinary. And eventually you start to see how God is working even in your suffering. And so eventually we begin to learn that not only is God there, but we can connect to God in all of it. We can relate to him. It's in the mundane and the ordinary that we're presented with opportunities to relate to, connect with God. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's an image from a certain uh, rabbinic teaching that I find compelling. The tradition speaks of the story of Moses and God speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And this one particular uh, tradition uh, says of that encounter uh, something peculiar. It said, like, what if the burning bush, what if there are burning bushes all over the place? Moses just slowed down long enough to realize it. And so he removes his sandals because he recognizes that the ground he was standing on is holy. But what if the ground we're standing on is holy more often than not, right? We can see God in the ordinary, the mundane, uh, and even in our suffering. 
I love this. I love this. Um, what if we can relate to God in our suffering? What if we can commune with him? Uh, one last story. Uh, ab- about a week after Luann had a miscarriage, uh, we got another call, and one of our very close friends from college, his name's Ryan Harder, um, he died unexpectedly. He's 33. He had a catastrophic stroke. Uh, also an amazing reminder of the fragility of life, right? Had a wife and two kids, two very young kids. Um, and absolutely an unexpected jolt of suffering uh, for my wife and I. But I've been learning something through this process of grief and suffering. I'm learning that God's with me in that place. I'm, and I'm learning it in a really unique way. Um, I'm learning it through an image. And I'll, I'll explain that image in a moment. Um, but I wanted to show you all a, a short two-minute video clip. And this is another one of my very close friends, Travis, uh, sharing uh, something at our friend Ryan's funeral, which was a few weeks ago in Portland, Oregon. And so I'm going to share that video clip, and I'm going to share what that image is uh, that I've been learning this process personally of, of uh, how God is with me in this suffering. And maybe that image will speak to you as well. So let's watch this video. In Portland, there is a little Catholic sanctuary called the Grotto. And if you take the elevator up to the gardens up top, you'll see this, uh, in, the, in the gardens, you'll see this labyrinth. A labyrinth is like a maze, except for, unlike a maze, when you enter it, you can't go the wrong way, and you can't, you, in fact, it's just one path on a brick road, no, no walls. And you just go through this labyrinth, and the point is just to follow it. It sounds kind of boring, at least the maze you're trying to get out of. This, as you enter the labyrinth, you never, you never see David Bowie there for some reason. And as you enter this labyrinth, you start wrapping around in a predictable pattern. And then all of a sudden, it shoots off to another quadrant of the labyrinth. And eventually, the point of it is you just lose track of how long you've been there or how you're going to get to the center, which is the goal. And eventually, before you know it, you find yourself there. And if you walk this little maze with someone else, let's say they entered it a minute or two before you, uh, you will find yourself walking straight, straight in the line with them for quite a while. For quite a while. You'll assume I'm just going to be spending the rest of my time in this maze with them. Then all of a sudden, because they're in a different part, they will shoot off to another part of the quadrant. And this person you thought you were going to spend your time with, all of a sudden, they're gone. And I, I think that that labyrinth is a parable for our life. There's people we just assume that we're going to be holding hands with on this journey the whole time. And then either the, the path takes you or them somewhere else all of a sudden, or... Before they know it, unexpectedly, they find themselves in the middle, already there. And you'll, you'll get there too. You'll get there eventually if you stay on the same path. Ryan's already there in the middle. We didn't expect it. 
but before he knew it, he found himself there. I really wasn't expecting that. My tendency is this in suffering, small and large. Get off the path. Distract myself with things off the path. For some reason in this season, personal season, uh, I'm more drawn to the path than normal. And on that path, there's suffering. But God's there. And I just want to be with God. God's on the path with us, even in our suffering. I want to examine my life while I suffer and imagine what it would look like if I gave my life selflessly to a beautiful vision of a world that's being renewed, restored, redeemed by Jesus. A kingdom vision that's inaugurated by a crucified, suffering king on behalf of a broken world. Oh, and by the way, uh, as you have a little labyrinth, that's a replica of the labyrinth in the grotto in Portland, which is right near our college. Um, The beautiful thing about this, I think, is there aren't any wrong turns on the path. If you're angry with God on the path, Let him know, but stay on it. If you're absolutely devastated on the path, let God know you're devastated. Just stay on the path. Um, I I really don't know why I'm handing out that image to you, if I'm being honest. Maybe God's spirit will speak to you uh, somehow through it. I tried to think of a clever articulation of why I was handing it out. Um, but I don't, I don't have a clever articulation of why I handed those out to you today. And so uh, I'm going to invite the band up uh, as we worship, leave today. Um, maybe reflect where you are on the path in examining, creating. Um, and maybe you just simply need to be reminded that God's with you. And if that's the takeaway from this morning's sermon, I'm cool with that. God's with you. And so this week... May you take the time to examine your life in suffering or not. May you see the broken pieces of any hopes, dreams, expectations, and find the strength to create a beautiful life through the power of the Spirit. And may you be reminded that God is with you in all of it, in the mundane, in the ordinary, and even in painful suffering. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your presence provides us with opportunities to examine where we are at. And the power at some point, the courage, the bravery, like Ruth, to give our lives selflessly to a future we never imagined or expected, but that you have called us into believing that somehow uh, the power of your spirit will work resurrection, redemption, restoration, renewal. Speak to our hearts. May we see you in all sorts of unexpected, surprising ways, in the ordinary moments, in the mundane. And may we even find you in the midst of our suffering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.